economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Luke Graham, co-producer and graduate assistant for the Gorney Institute. With us today, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gorney Institution and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the Bernard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gorney Professor of Economic Education and Research. And finally, Nate Johnson, my fellow producer and graduate assistant. Okay, so walked in this morning and learned we're going to talk about map territory distinction. And Justin, take it away. I'm going to learn. So the map territory distinction is a, an interesting distinction in traditionally in like the philosophy of science. And you find it cropping up in, in economics and in philosophy and social science. It's usually put forward as the claim. The map is not the territory. So this was something that was first said, I believe, by Alfred Kurbitsky, who was a Polish, I think, philosopher of science. And a number of philosophers after him have repeated this claim. You know, the map is not the territory. The map is not the territory. The map is not the territory. And what this means is that the thing that we use to guide us around reality isn't the same thing as reality, right? And so we can have a bunch of different maps of reality. We can, you know, run an economic model. We can have a theory of the way the world should work. We can even use our, you know, our language to describe reality. But the claim that we need to make a distinction between the map and reality is sometimes you can, you can also say that one of the things you're trying to do when you say the map isn't the territory is to say, hey, guys, let's look at the territory. Let's make sure that we are not just focused on the map. And I think that one of the problems that can arise, especially in circles that we might run in, and here I'm thinking of academia in particular, libertarian-ish circles, sometimes these types of mistakes get made in these circles. They also get made, I think, a lot on the progressive left. But I think having this distinction in mind can help us identify and analyze some of these mistakes sometimes. So I'm going to give a little background on why I think this distinction matters and how people can play with it. And this goes back to like the er late, early to mid-90s with George Lakoff at UC Berkeley. He was a linguist there, a very famous one. He wrote a book called Don't Call, Don't Think of an Elephant. And this was his claim that since Lakoff is very progressive and he was wanting to pass the what was then called the death tax. And his claim was, stop calling it the death tax. Let's call it the inheritance tax. The life tax. Right. Inheritance tax. Um, and his claim was that, look, when we actually call this the inheritance tax rather than the death tax, we can get a lot more people behind it, right? And this was actually a policy that was pursued at you know, the highest levels of the DNC for a long time. And you can actually see this kind of move in our culture all the time for the past 30 years. So, I mean, ever since you guys have been around this idea that well, we're actually not calling that this anymore. 
we're going to call this something different, right? <laughs> and Lakoff was right, I think, that there are certain issues where if we change what we call things, we can get people to think about them differently. And then because they think about them differently, and get them to act a little bit differently. But what I want to say is that it seems like, and I think this is happens across the political spectrum, we ignore the territory, that is what's actually going on, and just focus, you know, the fights that seem to be we having that we seem to be having politically seem to be fights over the map, not fights over the territory. Um, does that make sense? I think so. So I'm hearing uh, the latest billionaire tax, like how are they passing the Biden administration's trying to corporations like Amazon that have more than a billion dollars of income. I can't remember how they're defining it, but they're basically the label that they're putting on it. Oh, the billionaire tax. Oh, yeah. OK, that has a nice ring to it. Let's let the billionaires do when when really, if I'm hearing you right, the territory is the fact that we might push these companies and corporations overseas like we've done before and we lose the ability to tax them if we start to overburden them with taxation is that touching on a little bit of what you're talking about? yeah yeah the, look focus on the territory look, what what is this actually going to do right that would be one another one would be uh, this claim you know well it's actually not really a tax right so yeah this claim that you know well depending on what it is if it's you know obamacare or whatever oh, well it's it's not a penalty it's tax or no tax, you know, whatever that as long as we change the labels on things, we can, we can get whatever policy we want in. But not only that, not only changing labels of things to get the policy that we want, but somehow that, look, when we look around, we all agree that there are problems with the territory, right? And one of the problems with, I think, confusing the map with the territory is this idea that, oh, the way we fix problems with the territory is by changing the map, mm -hmm. right? So this, this seems, Peter, don't you think a little contrary to what we assume in economics many times that rationality prevails, that we can we can name things whatever we want, but ultimately we will approach it rationally. And behavioral economics has pushed back on that over the years with how we frame questions and whatnot. Is that do you think that's kind of similar here? So I think behavioral economics is wrong. That's a good heuristic. <laughs> I think that. Something like this makes sense a lot in politics. So I think you probably don't find businesses working quite so hard to define things. Obviously, there's advertising to get people to understand things, but businesses probably aren't quite so interested in linguistics as in politics. Because I think in politics, and I think our standard economic models do work in this, in the realm of politics, people have less incentive to find out information about things. And so maybe like you have so little incentive since you have a 0% chance of affecting the outcome of elections. You have so little incentive to vote for something that you'll do it just off the name, which makes sense. People do it just off the letter next to the name all the time. So if you're in a voting booth and you're choosing between, uh, you know, death tax or no and inheritance tax or no, one of those obviously <laughs> sounds more appealing. How much more appealing? Well, it kind of doesn't matter because like if you invest time, you're not going to change the outcome yourself anyways. But interestingly, of course, if enough people feel this way, the outcome does get changed, not because of any one individual, but the aggregate effect. And so I actually think this comports pretty well that in politics, I'm not surprised we see a lot of this because in politics, people are basically lazy about gathering information it because just it plays, doesn't help. It plays right along with rational ignorance. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I just described. So yeah. that, of course, this works that way because we don't give a darn anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think there are two mistakes 
two map territory mistakes. And I think that the first is to think that we can fix the territory by changing the map. And trying to change. And when you say that, you're talking about really changing minds. Like, let's start with the rhetoric, suck them into the issue, and then hopefully change minds of the territory. I mean, you make this sound like, is that that the strategy? I guess you make this sound like the changing minds is some kind of (laughs) rational procedure. And I don't think that's what happens, right? (laughs) What happens is something like, no, 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 no. We call this this now, right? And since we call this this, and we know, you know, a priori that. You know, democracy is good or whatever. Maybe a good way to help with this conversation could be to take it back to economics. So out yeah. of policy. And so economics, I think, sometimes does a really good job with the map territory distinction. I'm thinking like tax incidents. Tax incidents is a good way that cuts through this map territory distinction and says, nope, the territory is that consumers and businesses both pay when you impose a sales tax. They're both going to bear part of that. That's a great example of how economics is really good at saying, uh, forget the map, uh, the word of the sales tax, whether it goes on the business, yeah. whether it goes on the consumer, let's go to the territory. On the other hand, economics sometimes really stinks at this. And so I think a lot of times macroeconomic models that we use, so like Keynes's framework, oftentimes involves, well, the world is not comporting to my map that I have here. You know, For example, in the 70s, stagflation is throwing off my map. And so let me change the map rather than focusing on the territory. Let me change my models rather than trying to, f- to fix the problem in the world. Do you think that's a, a good you know, example, Justin? Yeah. We had a, a podcast on like the abortion debate, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you can see some attempts to go, you know, to reason from the map to the territory in this case where, you know, you go, okay, well, what if it's a, what if it's a child that seems healthy and it's in its 30th week? it's not a child. It's, you know, it's a, you know, mm-hmm. since we know that, that we are labeling it, this thing, it has this right. And I think it's always important to go, no, let's drag back to the territory. Let's look at the actual thing that we were talking about here. Like this is, you know, viable outside the womb or whatever. And so this idea that since we have, we can draw clean lines on our map that therefore the territory must obey the, uh, the map. That's, that's a fundamental misconception about the way maps and territories are supposed to work. Here's another good contemporary example of that redrawing the lines thing. It's like the last few times that inflation has come up with Jen Psaki, the press secretary, one thing that she'll do is she'll say, oh, well, look at the price of this, this, and this. If you look at those prices, there's not really much inflation. That's an example of redrawing your inflation (laughs) index to match something that, oh, look, we've cured inflation because, you know, beef this week didn't go up. Forget that chicken went up, you know, 400% or something like that. This is a good example of redrawing the map to try to solve the problem. Yeah. Or, I mean, even the difference between talking about inflation in terms of CPI versus like M2, right? Or, yeah, or yeah. That's a different term that we are using. In, yeah. In the core people. inflation index. I mean, there's five yeah. or six different measures and you can kind of pick and choose what you like. Yeah. And, you know, so people can say, well, we're, we actually don't have inflation because what we mean by inflation is this basket of goods. And we've decided to change what's in this basket of goods such that now there's no inflation. Right. right. And I think that the focus on the map is what you find almost 90% of coverage. Mm-hmm. And I think it can actually be kind of a superpower argumentatively to just say, I don't care what the map is and say, you know, I'll call whatever, whatever you want me to call it. Because a lot of times what the way these arguments work is they try to say, well, we're going to call this X where it's X is something that previously was thought of as bad. Right. And they'll say, well, 
And then they'll redefine X and then they'll try to get you to think that this new definition of X also must be there for something that is bad since that word previously had this moral valence to it. Okay, well, this looks like a good time to call for our break. And when we come back, I guess I'd like to see how if economics and philosophy, these logic-based approaches are the best way to combat this map territory distinction. We'll be back in just a bit. By 2030, the Gordon Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to students' experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. Young audiences will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. The Wharton Institute and Ottawa University has teamed up with the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE, to host PPE Fest here at Ottawa University. PPE Fest is an awesome way for high school seniors and juniors to find out more about philosophy, politics, and economics. If you want more information, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It helps other people find us. We'd also like to do a mailbag episode. So send in your questions or comments to gortney.institute at gmail.com. All right. So let's kind of bring this back to some contemporary issues and kind of applications. I've had some previous podcasts. Justin, you were mentioning Tho. What did you think was relevant for that podcast we did with Tho? Yeah. So Tho Bishop is somebody we had on our podcast recently. I don't know what number it was, but it was pretty recent. So if you just scroll back through, you should be able to find it. And Tho is affiliated with the Mises Institute. And one of the things that Phil was talking about was that he was involved with some grassroots political action. And as somebody who's involved with the Mises Institute, which is, you know, a libertarian think tank, sometimes I think, you know, and somebody who's pretty libertarian-ish, I think that people who I tend to agree with about ideal policy sometimes focus too much on crafting and perfecting and honing what the ideal policy ought to look like. And they do this at the expense of what is going on at the level of the territory. So there was, I don't know if you got, there's this famous article called, we should demunicipalize the garbage service. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a famous article in uh, late eighties, early nineties, libertarianism. And the claim was you know, these libertarians have these conferences and they argue about, you know, the best way to demunicipalize the local garbage service when, no, this had to have been this, the 70s then, uh, when there are still these huge problems, you know, in Vietnam and, uh, you know, leftover from uh, the wars in Korea, et cetera. And why are these libertarians focusing on all this, you know, minutia? <laughs> and uh, the claim by the libertarians was, and the purpose of this article is to say, until we understand why we ought to demunicipalize the garbage service, we are never going to get the actual policy right on the ground. So we're always going to have these overseas wars. Mm -hmm. And that's a viewpoint that I used to agree with. And I think I I disagree with it more now. I think something like it might take us forever to come up with an ideal policy that we all agree on. And at the same time, if we are still sending kids overseas to die or whatever, maybe that's actually what we should be focusing on. And in order to do that, one of the things that I thought those approaches interesting is, you know, you have to meet people where they're at, and that is local politics. And so that's what I thought a good example of the um, focusing on the territory rather than focusing on the map, a good example of that. And then maybe, could I give one more example real quick? Yeah. 
about, which would be a concrete example of what I think is this attempt to kind of just, you know, manage the map and and hope that, you know, the right things happen in the territory or whatever. So, you know, we were told that, you know, vaccination was, uh, will solve all our problems. We were told that, you know, if you get the vaccine, you will not get COVID or whatever. Now it seems like that's all gone out the window. And now that we're pushing boosters now, not only does the stat, what vaccinated means has changed over the past few months, right? So it is now, we're going through that change right now, right? Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, vaccinated, I won't count as vaccinated anymore because I have, I've only had my two Pfizer jabs, right? And now they're going to push it to where uh, you, know, you need a booster to call yourself vaccinated. Right. But even before that change happened, something interesting happened where if you, it used to be the case that what we called anti-vaxxers were people who didn't vaccinate their kids for things like MMR or something like that, right? And this actually had an interesting cross-political alliance because there were some very crunchy granola people on the left. Mm -hmm. And there were also some people on the right who both didn't vaccinate their kids. And actually a lot of people in the center agreed that these people were bad, right? (laughs) And they were free riding on the rest of society. And they said, and so everyone agreed anti, you know, that anti-vaxxers were bad because what anti-vaxxers meant was people who didn't vaccinate their children against uh, for MMR and uh, you know polio etc and now people have within the past year people have used that label now to call anyone who is skeptical of an emergency use vaccine for anybody an anti-vaxxer right and then they'll also say well we know that being an anti-vaxxer is bad and since what anti-vaxxer means is someone who's against vaccines and you seem to be against these emergency use vaccines, therefore you are bad, right? So this is an attempt to kind of change the meaning or expand this, this definition and then to assume that the syllogism will still go through. And what I was talking about when I said it can kind of be this kind of argumentative superpower to just say, you know, you can call whatever you want is, you know, to make people define their terms and go, okay, what do you mean by anti-vaxxer, blah, blah, blah. And then when they spell that out, you just go, okay, well, you've convinced me now that that being an anti-vaxxer means X, and you just give them their definition back. And then you go, but you've also convinced me now that it is no longer a bad thing to be an anti-vaxxer, right? Mm -hmm. Then you can do this with any terms that get, you know, redefined in the contemporary era, things like... So you're saying take in what they're explaining and then say, but now you've convinced me that it's not linked back to what we used to say is bad. Yeah, now that you, term, you broke the link. That term no longer has the moral valence that it would need to serve the function that you want it to serve in your argument. And they're going to say, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and then you keep on arguing. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen this too in, again, you know, my, my thoughts are with communities I've been involved with. So libertarian circles, I, I see this focus on the map a lot, you know, so One issue with focusing on the map, too, is that you sort of provide an emphasis. Uh, You make things loud that shouldn't be loud. And so like the focus on, for example, well, how quickly should the FDA, you know, approve certain measures? The focus on like, well, how can we cause the FDA to speed up? Because, you know, we don't think the FDA should make decisions. We think people should make decisions. It's an interesting conversation, but it's a map conversation. The territory is... 
that what's happening right now in society isn't that like you know there's uh, this big opposition within the, the governments to slow down the the release of certain things there might have been some of that at some point but that's not really where things are at or another way you could talk about this is if someone's proposing an eight percent tax increase and you say well seven percent would be more ideal because seven percent is not going to cause this distortionary effect trying to find like an optimal amount of taxes these are all map questions that actually cause changes in the territory that you don't want to happen. So you sort of legitimize certain policies when you have the map conversation about them to a certain extent. If you're arguing about optimal tax rates, you've already seated that you agree that there should be some sort of tax imposed. And so your compliance in the issue, having the map conversation can sometimes uh, legitimize the the way the territory looks and the problem in the territory. Well, let's bring Jesus into this conversation. I think let's weave in a little faith stuff. It seems like this is pretty ripe with areas uh, historically from the Bible or maybe even factions in the church or splits that have happened over time on trying to redefine certain things. Peter, what did you have? You found a, a passage or something that you thought spoke to this issue? Yeah, so I think one of the clear things that we can see in Jesus's action is it's very frequently territory oriented. And I don't see many examples of, of, of otherwise that Jesus focuses on the map. I think Jesus does try to provide good maps, but I think his, his action is territory oriented. And so a, a good example of this is that it's a pretty famous parable. And uh, like most famous parables, pretty widely misunderstood, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so the Good Samaritan, if you don't remember, is the story about like, you know, Jesus tells a story about a guy who's, you know, a Jewish person who's injured on the road. And like he asks a priest, a Levite for help. And the Levite won't help him. He asks another guy who probably should help him for help. And he doesn't help him either. And then the Samaritan, who the Jewish person would have thought of as less than him, helps him. And so oftentimes people take the moral of the story to be, well, sometimes religious people are really bad and non-religious people are really good. And like this is like the theme that you'll hear if you hear people bring this up. Of course, this ignores the context of the question. And so the context of this question is someone is approaching Jesus and this person is a map person and they want to get into heaven by having the right map. This is the, the, the goal of the person. And so they come up and they say, well, teacher, you know, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, well, you tell me you're a scribe, you know, the commandments, what are the most important commandments? And the guy says, well, yeah, I should love God and love my neighbor. And Jesus's response is you've answered correctly, you know, go do this. You know, good job. And the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus's response is this parable. And so what Jesus is exposing in this guy is that this is like a map view of, you know, being a good person. A map view of being a good person is what is my checklist? Well, who, who do I have to love? Like, give me the list of people who count as my neighbor. Of course, what's that, what that's reflecting is this heart attitude that the guy has that I don't want to be a good person to be a good person. I want to be a good person so I can check off my box or so I can like, you know, fulfill what the maps requirements are for me. I'm not focused on loving people in the territory, focused on loving people in the map. And so, you know, Jesus tells this whole parable and he says, so who is this guy's neighbor? And the guy, of course, like begrudgingly admits basically oh, the Samaritans is a good neighbor, which basically is highlighting this point. Well, anyone can really be your neighbor, right? It's not just the people, I can't provide you a list of people who could be your neighbor because anybody can fulfill that Samaritan's role. By the way, there's no reason the Levite couldn't have done that too. And there's no reason a woman couldn't have done that or anything else. And then Jesus says, you go and do likewise, basically highlighting to this guy, you don't get to get off for free. If you want to live a law focused life, you have to follow the whole law. This is also why Jesus will say things that throw people off. Like if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. What Jesus is saying there 
is not, it's literally the same thing as committing adultery. Like we all know it's not literally the same thing. You can see the difference between the two. But in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, but what adultery really is, is it goes beyond the distinction of like some specific acts. Like when does it count as adultery? But actually it it reflects, adultery reflects a hard attitude of basically infidelity or sexual immorality or something like that. Just like murder reflects an attitude of anger or hatred for someone, which is why Jesus says, if you say you fool, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus is penetrating through these distinctions and and getting to the core of the heart issue. And so I I think Jesus really is a territory person in that angle. One thing that came to my mind was uh, render to Caesar what a Caesar's like he didn't they wanted to get into kind of a map argument there. And he's like, I'm not even going to go there. Like, right. I think that was part of him going back to the territory. And like you say, there's probably lots of other examples as well. So, Justin, you had one other contemporary example that you wanted to bring up, or are we ready to call this one to a close? I gave the contemporary example. Oh, that was your, that was the last one. Okay. Let me throw in a pitch for Kierkegaard again, okay. the existentialists, because one of the things that Kierkegaard says, and Kierkegaard is a devout Christian on this, and then Sartre says, who is a devout atheist, right? But Sartre steals it from Kierkegaard and then tries to, uh, what would you call it? secularize it, right, is that any kind of ethical code that you have, which is exactly what Peter was talking about, you know, this map for how to act, this logarithm to tell you what you need to do to either be a good person or to get into heaven, et cetera, uh, depending on whether you're Sartre or Kierkegaard, those have to be, by definition, very general, right, because it, a map has to be more general than the territory that it's uh, that it tells you about. Um, and both Kierkegaard and Sartre say that the real distinctions that you have to make in your life are, you know, the real tough decisions are those decisions where, you know, that are particular and where it's actually not going, one general set of rules probably won't tell you what the right thing to do is. And since those are the decisions which are the hard ones to make in your life, uh, you know, for Kierkegaard, those are the decisions that you have to make by faith, right? Or, you know, someone... Somebody else might say by wisdom or whatever, but that it is just a mistake to think that we ought to have a map that will tell us logarithmically what to do in every equation. And I want to finish by saying we've gone over a couple map territory distinctions and mistakes. The biggest mistake you can make with the map territory distinction is to look at the map and then look at the territory and see that your map doesn't match the territory and say, Therefore, there is something wrong with the territory. Our accounting professor, Lynn Wagner, came to mind on this because I think with accounting, it's similar. So I've heard her say before that you've got principles that you're trying to do with keeping the books for a company. And as soon as you lay down a rule, then you can kind of find a loophole around that rule. And so principles-based accounting versus rules-based accounting, I think there's a, a connection there as well that she likes to make in her classroom to her students. All right. Well, this has been a production of the Gordon Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find us. And be sure to pass word along to others if you like what you hear. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.